Welcome back to another episode of Women Blazers. I'm your host, Deanna Witter. Today, I'm excited to welcome Samantha Hicks as my featured guest. Samantha is the Chief Revenue Officer for the Reno Aces and Reno 1868 FC of minor league baseball and the United Soccer League. I had the pleasure of working with Samantha while at Pacer Sports Entertainment. And in this episode, you'll hear her share her incredible journey, knowing sales was her pursued career and combining it with her passion for sports, she has blazed a path to the C-suite, crushing sales, being on and leading great teams and loving the work every step of the way. I loved how we had this inside sales room, which was technically like a big <laughs> yeah. closet. And they're, and they're like, hey, there's a door in this closet. We should put a, a fever inside sales yeah. room. Remember <laughs> like, for that, that It was room. so small. Was, <laughs> it was so small. My tie, I think my tie was hanging up in that room, if I recall. I hope my tie is still there. You think your, our ties are I still there? I took mine. I have it. You I took it. it? I took mine when I that left. That is bullshit. I'm calling. I <laughs> want <laughs> I, my tie better be up on that wall. I'd be so mad. Oh, oh I want proof. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I think they've definitely renovated the place since I've seen it. So it's not that yes. it's not that area anymore. So Sam, you went to Central Michigan University, like myself and like Jody Bonus that was on the episode uh, episode early earlier back in the podcast. And I'm so excited to have you on today. Um, so while you were at Central, you know, when did you realize that you wanted to work in sports? First and foremost, fire up chips. We got to yes. we got to acknowledge <laughs> yeah. that. Absolutely. Um, I think I wanted to work in sports, um, I believe, for a long time. It's kind of all I knew. Growing, growing up, I played basketball and soccer. It was always a part of my life. Um, at Central, I went through the College of Business. So Um, They didn't have sport management at the time. So I went through the College of Business, but I always was very fond of the sales and marketing classes. Um, And sales was always kind of in my blood, if you will say. Growing up, my mom sold industrial real estate. Um, So I, I wanted to be in sales. I just didn't know that I would possibly get the opportunity to match that with sports. So, you know, as the time was coming to an end at Central, Um, you got to look at all these different opportunities. I looked at pharmaceutical sales, um, and some other companies and they were okay. You know, it was interesting, but, um, when I finally realized that I could possibly, you know, explore marketing and sales for a professional sports team, that's what really intrigued me. So, um, once I stumbled upon that and knew that that could be a career path for me, I said, Hey, why not? Let's, let's try this out. So, I um, did a few interviews and I ended up spending my uh, internship um, in Chicago for the summer. I lived in a 500 square foot apartment and <laughs> I was in Lincoln Park. I, it was unpaid, but it was a great way to kind of break in. That's amazing. Was that, did you know or had any interest of, of, around the WNBA or is this sort of your first time, you know, connecting with the products? Yeah, so I played basketball, um, and that was kind of my passion. So, you know, when you're searching through teamwork online and what opportunities there were, you know, being candid, I'm sure I applied for, you know, anything that came up um, around that Midwest area. But, um, yeah, I was intrigued, and and I applied. It was titled a marketing internship, but 
um, through my time there, you know, I got to see all the different departments. I think that helped starting with maybe a smaller new organization. It was only their second summer um, in Chicago. So, you know, a staff of maybe 20 people. So for me, I got to really get a taste for what areas of the business I really liked um, and where I could see myself going long-term. So after, after your internship and you graduate from Central, um, you get your first position um, full-time with Pell Sports Entertainment with the Detroit uh, Pistons and the Detroit Shock. Is that right? Is the Shock still there at that time, right? Yes, they were still there. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, as I say, the Shock, right. And so um, you're a sales and marketing coordinator. So how did you, you know, what was the process of getting in with that organization? And um, what was that experience like? So when my time came to an end um, in Chicago, I tried like crazy to get on full time, you know, and it's it's funny because for me, I think it was a moment of really experiencing rejection. Um, <laughs> they didn't have any headcounts um, and I couldn't get on there. So I was you know, I moved back in with my family and said, what am I going to do? Um, there was a lot of great sports teams in Detroit, as you know, D. Um, but. I ended up uh, cold calling uh, in with the Pistons and shock and um, nothing was posted on their website, but through, you know, multiple attempts and multiple calls, I finally got in and it was a little bit of luck and timing. Um, Someone had just left. So they said, yeah, you have some experience. Come on in for, you know, an interview, a very entry level position. Um, And I remember driving to the palace and interviewing and, you know, just going through that process. You see the championship trophies. You you grew up going to games there. There's so much history. And I was just so proud to even go to the interview. You know, (laughs) your your family is, of course, pumping you up. This is awesome. And um, at that time, you just kind of uh, do the best you can to make connections. And I, I did my best on the interview and, um, you know, expressed how competitive I was and how I thought I could contribute. And, and luckily, um, that landed me my first role. That's awesome. That's awesome. So talk about your experience there. You were there for two years. You know, what was, what was like one, one or two of your key takeaways from your experience working for, um, the Pistons, the palace, you know, the shock. So I think with Detroit basketball, it was just this level of professionalism there that I hadn't experienced yet in my career. Um, Walking into that sales floor, everyone is in a suit, you know, and (laughs) I think it was like so structured at the time that it was far. It went as far as like if it was a game day and you were a guy and you didn't shave, like a razor would be dropped on your desk or if your shoes weren't (laughs) polished, like that shows up, you know. So it was a really good foundation because I think um, the level of professionalism there was huge. So that was one key takeaway. I think um, really getting to see what that corporate ladder looked like, you know, the president was on like the sixth floor. I was in the basement or the the, the first floor level selling. So you kind of had to, you got to see the structure um, and just being in an organization of that size was very cool to be a part of, intriguing, looking at all the opportunities and then the multi-sport property with NBA, WNBA, and then they had the concerts um, at the palace and then um, I think at the amphitheater as well. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, DTE. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Pine Knob. It was Pine Knob, right. then DTE. Remember that? Oh, man. What, you know, anytime I get to talk about the Palace and the Pistons, like, 
you know, so nostalgic. It, it has such <laughs> a deep meaning, you know, to your point, like going as a kid and growing up. I mean, I feel like we, like, we have to take a moment of silence for the palace. You know, it, the imploded it this year. I know. Did you see that video? I was like, I was so sad watching that video. <laughs> it's like my whole, all my dreams yep. just like crumbled into dust. I was like, oh my gosh, that was heartbreaking to watch. Yeah, I was watching oh. it. I was watching on Twitter as it was happening. You know, there was all these clips and they were doing like all oh. these flashbacks to like, you know, Rashid Wallace, Chauncey Billups, the heyday back when it was just like, you know, such a good team. Our heyday. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, our heyday. The bad boys were like the heyday. Yeah. Right? The before, yeah before LeBron showed up the first time, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Ruined our, ruined our chances of winning more championships. Yeah. After your two years with, the, with um, the Pistons and the Shock and the Palace, um, you then move on and join the Indiana Fever as a sales consultant. And this is where you and I actually get to work together. So crazy that yes. we're at Central about the same time we don't know each other, both on this path, you know, the same time in parallel from Michigan. Um, but we, we teamed up um, when you came to Indiana, which is, which is awesome. So what inspired the move uh, to the uh, to join the Indiana Fever? Well, there was change in ownership. Bill Davidson passed away and, right. um, you know, our department I was in, we got, we all got laid off. So I was 24 experiencing that, which, you know, looking back, it was probably like the best thing that could have happened at the time because I was in my comfort zone in Michigan, um, working for an awesome team. But from there, I just really had to pull myself up from my bootstraps and use my resources and lead contacts I met and just try to interview around. So, um, I did end up, you know, really looking at going to Indiana, um, even though most people didn't want me to, because as you guys know, there's a, <laughs> there's a rivalry there, right? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I talked to a few great leaders there and um, our VP of ticket sales, Jake Vernon, who you know as well, very yep. well. He, we talked a little bit about the opportunity to possibly gain some management experience. It was going to be their first ever inside sales class for the WNBA side. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was a small sales team. But he said, if you can come and produce, prove yourself, and then maybe we can get you some additional responsibilities as you go. So that's kind of um, what really excited me. Um, so I took a shot. And, and that's where our, like you said, our uh, paths crossed as well. So while you're at the Fever, obviously you're growing. You were a phenomenal salesperson. I, I, you know, there's so much, you know, talent and you had tons of success as a, as a seller. Um, but when did you start to determine that you wanted to develop into leadership? And how would you describe that experience from becoming a, going from a seller into that leadership position um, as the director of ticket sales uh, with the Fever? Yeah. So, I mean, originally starting off, I just needed to prove myself selling. There was a lot of really good people. It was a super competitive atmosphere. Um, but I think deep down, I always wanted to kind of figure out what is this leadership thing or this management thing. Right. Um, and I had really, really good examples, like thinking back to some of the people that work there, it was just an outstanding group, um, including yourself. Right. So, I think I remember um, literally like your corner office, you always had your door open. You know, you had like a candy jar. People were invited <laughs> to come in. I still remember that. Um, but just getting to see like, you know, kind of what you were doing, what some of these um, other managers, directors, execs were doing there was huge. So um, you kind of observed and looked at people um, how do they conduct themselves? Um, how do they get people to buy into them? 
So one of the things was just like that open door, like environment, I think for you, you were like a person first and got to know people and like people were comfortable. And then it's like, oh, by the way, I need you to run through this wall for me because we have to get this done, (laughs) you know? And so (laughs) then they're going to do it. They, you know, so I think there's a lot of psychology, not only to selling, but also to leading. Um, And, you know, the hardest thing I think in anyone's career is when they are promoted amongst your peers um, that you were just selling with. And now you have to have one-on-ones and you have to um, look at their pipelines and figure out how you're going to get to a goal. So that was a huge challenge um, for me at the time, as I'm sure, you know, now I coach people going through that, like, Hey, I went through this as well. It's super hard, but this is probably going to be one of the biggest challenges you do have in your career. Stick with it. Well, speaking on that and staying on it for a second, you know, what is that advice you give to others just from your own experience um, going and making that that transition as the peer to the leader? You have to, it has to be one-on-one coaching. You have to figure out what, why is that person here? You know, are they super motivated for money? Do they want the opportunity to advance? Um, what is their reason for doing this every day, figuring that out and then trying to play to that, I think is huge because um, you can't just come in and, and say, this is what we're doing. I'm here now. That's just never going to work. Um, so, you know, you yes. have to go about it, a slow approach the right way. Um, and I think um, really listening is key, um, not solving every little problem or thinking you have to. And then being humble enough too to realize some of these people may know more than you in certain areas. And that, you know, and that's <laughs> right. okay. I think the more we climb, we have to feel like we're territorial or we have to be able to answer all these questions on the spot, you know, as you climb in your career, which for the most mm-hmm. part you do, but it's okay to have someone else in the room be the expert and give them that moment um, to shine as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's incredible advice. I remember when I went from, you know, the seller to the director of group sales. And it like one of my favorite people and one of my like best friends, you know, at the, <laughs> yeah. at the Pacers was Alice Skowski. Uh-huh. I mean, this woman <laughs> had been, you know, with the organization for years, breadth of experience and phenomenal. And I remember, you know, obviously she's a friend of mine, but it was one of those perspectives because of relationship. And I, I use this across the board with everybody. I was like, I'm not trying to be in a position to, to lead right. you. I'm here to dedicate myself to helping you be successful. And in return, we will grow and be successful as a team. So I remember, you know, and I think it was inspired by the relationship I had Mm -hmm. with Alice that I wasn't going to come in and try to be anybody's quote unquote boss. I just wanted to sort of help and dedicate my, my time, my effort to making sure that we're successful as a team. And that started at the individual level, as you just, you know, shared. And it's stepping stones, it's listening, it's talking, it's, it's getting to know them at a personal level as also at a professional level to understand sort of how they work and what works for them and maybe make recommendations on maybe adjustments that can help them, you know, move, you know, further ahead faster. Um, so it's a, it is an intricate process, but once you, once you tap into what, what works for you and your style and your team, um, keep building off that. You know, I think that's key. You gotta, you really gotta be in tune with those. I think the moment you get a win and you really see how you've impacted someone's life, not just, not just their numbers necessarily, but if you can impact their life, then that's all the gratitude as a leader you're looking for. And it feels really good. 
Yes. <laughs> and you want more. It's yeah. very addicting, isn't it? Like you just want so much more. Like I'm I'm so fulfilled right. with this feeling. And and I think ultimately it's like if I had to describe it, it's like this it's a it's yep. a love. You know, it's like you really gotta love your people. And and I think um when you get to that level and you understand that, you're able to tap into understanding what that emotion really is, you know. Now after um after five years with the Pace with Pacer Sports Entertainment. Um, what is one of the, your favorite memories with the organization outside of, of course, working yeah, with me? Right. <laughs> that was super fun. Not going to lie. Um, I think, you know, the, the pinnacle was in 2012 winning the WNBA championship there. That was awesome. Woo-hoo! Yes. <laughs> yes. I was there. I was, I was actually, I was at the league office by then, but I came and I was so jealous. I couldn't go in like the back and celebrate with you guys. Um, just being able to see everyone kind of come together at that time and you know working for a multi-sport property can be have its challenges um, as most of the listeners Mm -hmm. may know if if that's what you currently do or have done in the past and I think just having that one time where it was like everyone was on board we had huge attendance numbers being able to like deliver those (laughs) was amazing and um, I was really really proud of that that accomplishment. After, after, you know, being there for five years and having this incredible experience and you sort of put a bow on, on it, right. It's like this beautiful bow on top yes. of the championship. Um, <laughs> you then, you then move on uh, and join uh, and make a move to Reno. What motivated the move to Reno? So Herb Simon, our owner um, in Reno with the Reno Aces and Reno 1868 FC also owns the Indiana Pacers. So there was some Um, natural back and forth um, between the teams. And there was an opportunity for a vice president role that opened up um, in Reno. And so what motivated me was, you know, I'd been at that director level. We'd we'd done a lot of really cool things, but um, it was the opportunity to kind of control and own a department, oversee the budget fully, um, and a little bit more professional responsibility for sure. Um, on top of that, the great yeah. thing was my my mom had moved out to Reno. My aunt and uncle have been here my whole life, and I have a bunch of cousins and family out here. So um, it was kind of fitting that way too. You know, a lot of times in the sports industry, you you know, your personal life um, doesn't necessarily line up with the team you work for. So to have that be an opportunity was really important and intriguing at the time. Yeah, that's what a like yes, a completely perfect yeah. scenario. Now, did you did you seek out the opportunity, or did they come to you and and ask you about if you were interested? Yeah, in so um, they were looking for someone, and I was recommended um, by someone who you know uh, thought I'd done a really good job and and worked for that organization. So that was nice, of course. And, and I think that's the point I would love to like just emphasize is you know when you're with an organization, you never know you know, who's looking, who's watching, who's observing sort of what your contributions, who you are and in the direction you're developing, because they're probably looking out for you as well. If you're building a brand and connection with the right people, um, who would have figured, you know, like, you know, so wherever you are today, if you're in a team, you know, think about your ownership group and the other entities that they own, there could be a potential there. So continue to build up your brand and, you know, an opportunity that like this could even come toward yeah, your absolutely. way, you know, you never know who's really observing and watching. Um, you just, you have to know every day when you're going, put your best foot forward, try to get results. And sometimes opportunities are presented to you. And that's the best case because you can pick, is this something you can explore it and pick and otherwise you're still in a really good spot.
So what was the experience like moving from the WNBA to minor league baseball and USL? Yeah, so I think with um, the Pacers and Fever, of course, the powerhouse is the Pacers, right? So coming from a multi-sport property, you're kind of the underdog always. It's harder to get things maybe accomplished. You have to lean on other departments. There's a lot of timing um, that is sometimes out of your control. So coming to Reno, it was already kind of a robust sales organization. I was lucky the person that um, was doing the job before me had a good blueprint to step into. But on the Reno Aces baseball side, Um, Just, you know, looking at the sales numbers and revenues, it was really growth opportunity for me to manage way higher numbers um, and then a lot more people. Um, And then additionally, you know, through the interview process, there was talks of we could potentially be getting a USL team or launching one. Um, It's a new upcoming league. What do you think of it? And just that opportunity has been so rewarding and I think when you see something from the beginning you're just so much more passionate about it so getting the opportunity to really oversee the sales initiatives um, from the very beginning and launching this club has been super exciting Um, so yeah it's been a great ride so far that's that's fantastic and and since you've been there you know, you moved from the VP and now you're officially the chief revenue officer of both 1868 FC and Reno Aces. How do you structure and organize responsibilities between the two teams in these two different leagues? Yeah. So I was in the VP role for two years um, and then, you know, got promoted to kind of oversee sponsorship and ticket sales for both. So the crazy thing I don't think most people realize, D, is for baseball and the soccer seasons, they actually run at the same time. So from March right. from March through <laughs> September, we have 90 games. So literally, <laughs> literally every weekend, there's a game, right? Like not just weekday games. And, you know, for baseball, it's homestand. So you have seven in a row. Um so to say the wow. least, you, you have to be dialed in. <laughs> um, I got so used to just like something is coming, you know, every day something is coming. And yeah. if you're not ready or prepared, you're going to fall behind. So um, that in terms of just the sure volume of games, you know, it is, it's a lot. Um, yes. From the revenue cycles, um, the, the, I guess, lucky thing about that is that we're kind of running them at the same time. So, an example for our renewals on revenue, they're going to be, you know, launching August 1st every year in parallel, which is nice because you can kind of line things up accordingly, which is nice. On the sponsorship side, mm-hmm. we're trying to bundle both teams and working on that. Hey, you don't want your brand just in here for one team. We want to get you in here for all 90 uh, games across really the the season. Watching on it quickly on the le- difference in the leagues, like baseball is super historical and has, you know, all this history and tradition and opening day. And then soccer is like, you're in it right now at the MLS level, you know, this is like the progressive cutting edge. So it's culturally when you're, you're hiring sellers and figuring out like, who's going to be able to kind of do both of these things, because normally for the multi-sport property, you want to break them up separately. So, so on the selling side, it's been challenging. We've done it where we've tried separating then We've tried it together. Um, right now, during this pandemic, everyone's kind of chipping in a- across the board and we're left with just the top performers who who can get it done, you know, but that's that's an interesting point um, in terms of managing two completely different sports. And then as you talk about just the dedication of your time, like how do you 
like personally manage your lifestyle and how do you create time and energy for your Yeah, it's been a work in progress. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, my lifestyle is baseball and soccer. Well, I would say in the beginning, you know, um, and, and me and you are very similar, I think in this, it's just, it's hard to turn off when you, you love and you're passionate Mm -hmm. about what you're doing. Um, so it's been, I've had to be very intentional as I've grown kind of in my career. And luckily we've, we've adapted and made some changes where we have a really good executive team. So I'll give you an example of kind of a cadence of our schedule with 90 events. Like I said, I'd be working every weekend. That's unrealistic. Like I have a life, I have a family and things like that. So me and my COO, we, we traded off last year, right? We went every other weekend. So it's nice where you're not physically there at the same time, mentally, you're like, oh gosh, that big sponsor was coming tonight. I hope it went okay. You know? So, <laughs> right. you're so constantly texting been, everybody. Um, I've had to yeah. be very intentional with that. You have to learn how to set boundaries. I've been working on that a lot because, you know, everything in life blends together. Um, now it's, I've had to really try to figure out how to do that, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely understand. And I relate with that. And you're right. It's really hard to turn off, especially when you're in love and you're in passionate about what you do and want to make sure that everything is, you know, as perfect as it can be and that you're delivering every single game, right. Or match. Um, but you know, at the same time, you know, you got to find, you got to find those boundaries, um, wherever you can. What, what do you have to say to, to individuals that have a challenge with the boundaries? Like, how do you set them? You know, and, you know, when is it, when is it okay to, you know, set them? Because I think what happens, and I don't know what your thoughts are here, but I think what happens as women, sometimes we feel Mm -hmm. like if we're not always there, like, then we're going to miss out, or you're not going to think that I'm dedicated. At what point do you think setting boundaries and getting to that level, do you think that's earned over time? Or or do you think that, like, you should have the right to to start setting? Yeah, I think it's earned over time, personally, for where I'm at now, but I definitely see where the younger generation, and I'm not even that old, but the the younger generation, you know, it's, they're on social media. So I'll give you an example of, you know, we're 25 minutes from Lake Tahoe. It's a destination. People are coming from all over the world to spend their summers here. So, you know, my, my team is at the, the baseball stadium. We're working a seven game homestand and by the time you get to that sixth game and they're on Instagram and all their friends are out at the boating at the lake, like that's a real challenge in today's environment, you know? (laughs) Um, But for me personally, yeah, I've just worked on, um, you know, asking for what I want. And I think women, we have a hard time doing that sometimes, but you know, I've had very candid conversations with my boss of like, Hey, this is how I'm feeling. Um, and can we come up with a strategy for our team to be successful where we're not getting burnt out? So, you know, it's bringing those types of conversations to the people you work with. And I think you have to be willing to have those. And a lot of times it can be uncomfortable. Yeah. I I love what you and your COO did though. I mean, you guys teamed up, you thought of a strategy of, of rotating, you thought through what that would look like and you presented it in a way that was like, well, yeah, that could work. You know, you you both. Well, you both don't need to be there. You know, what, do, what, are, you, what right. are you actually doing but put out fires? And if you, tr- if you have a good team and you trust them over time, the fire should be very minimal. Um, and then you have leaders under you as well that, that are also there and supporting each other. So it's a, it's a support system, you know, throughout the, you know, throughout the event and throughout the season. So 
now that you're in the C-suite position, you know, what do you do personally to keep growing and developing now that you're in where you are? And you There's a lot of things that I think most um, people in the C-suite are doing, you know, you're constantly educating yourselves with podcasts, books, and conferences, right? That's, that's number one. I think most people are doing, um, what really was exciting for me personally this year, um, our clubs worked with the table group. So Patrick Lencioni, who wrote five dysfunctions of a team, he wrote the ideal player. Um, he has a consulting group and we were fortunate enough to really, um, work with a consultant on a one-on-one basis. Um, And in that, you know, we talk about smart versus healthy organizations. So the smart side of things is your strategy, your marketing, your finance, your technology, things that we're mostly focused on in our wheelhouse. The the healthy side of the organization Mm -hmm. is, you know, are you on an executive team that's encouraging from the top down minimal politics, minimal confusion, high morale for the whole company, um, high productivity, you know, low turnover. So for me, what I've really been focusing on is that healthy side. Um, you know, 95% of yeah. executives, we all spend most of our time on the smart. What's the strategy, the marketing, the revenue numbers. But really, I think if we can continue to challenge ourselves personally on the other things that are hard, like conflict or cascading messages. So when we come out of a meeting, how do we deliver the news to our staff, you know? Um, did we deliver the news to our staff? Because a lot of times we'll be in a meeting, all these decisions are made, but it's not necessarily making its way down the chain. So so that's been a really yeah. huge opportunity for me personally and for our executive team as well. So, um, you know, I've really enjoyed focusing on that healthy side of things. That's fantastic. I love that and love that your organization's investing in that level of, um, you know, as a, for a consultant to come in and work with you to improve things. And so, you know, obviously we, we get so caught up in working in the right. business, which is the <laughs> smart thing with the smart side as you're describing it. And to, to bring somebody in to help you sort of pick your head up and sort of look at it from another angle so that you can focus on the things that make you um, healthier, which will be all ultimately exactly. on the health of the business as well and the smart things. So that's, that's incredible. What do you wish you had known when you started out that you know now? I think I wish I would have known about time. Like that is the biggest piece. Um, You know, time is the one thing you can't get back in life. So going back to the question about setting boundaries and having to make decisions of where are you planting your feet? You know, my boss always says people vote with their feet. So if they want to be here, they'll be here. (laughs) Right. But I think you have to decide as you kind of, you know, get older in life as well as grow in your career, where's your time best spent? Um, I think earlier on, I physically felt like I had to be in every place and I probably gave up a lot of opportunities with my relationships and family because that's what I thought I had to be doing. Right. Um, So, you know, I would just challenge Mm -hmm. anyone listening to, you know, we have this moment in time with what's going on in the global pandemic, for me, it's really allowed me to slow down. Um, Partly not by choice, but just because of everything going on, you get to kind of reassess how do you want your life to look? Where should you be and when? And then it's okay to say no, you know, especially as women, it's okay to say no. And if you have a prior commitment or need to be somewhere else. Yeah, no, I I think that's fantastic. And, And you 
I could not agree more, especially with the pandemic, like as, as hard as this year has been, you know, in terms of sort of shaking up our norm, Mm -hmm. it has been such a blessing because the amount of time that we've been able to dedicate to other things um, at the core at home, let's say um, has been, has been such a gift. And, um, you know, I, I'm going to remember this year and this time of my life, um, not because of, you know, what the pandemic was, but, but for what it's provided me in terms of time with my family and my husband and, you know, just being able to connect and engage more and launch this podcast and get conversations with you and all the amazing women I've been able to get to know better um, throughout this podcast as well. So um, it's such a gift and that's fantastic. And so if you're listening, you know, and wherever you are in life, like time is such a valuable, valuable Absolutely. Um, assets. <laughs> More valuable than anything. And finally, what advice do you have for women looking to grow their careers um, who are currently maybe starting off on that ticket sales and service track? That yeah, you and I think I have started, an opinion. Speak up. Um, the worst thing you can do in a meeting is just sit there with the head nodding and agree with whoever's running the meeting. You know, um, if you have an opinion and, and have something to say, let your voice be heard. It's okay. Um, I think the other thing is, you know, conflict, healthy conflict is okay as well. Like that is how you advance sometime is asking the challenging question or pulling someone aside and say, Hey, I just want to make sure I understand this better. You know, we're trying to achieve this end goal. What is, what is your, um, apprehension with this plan? Having those challenging conversations, um, will definitely help you. And for the sellers out there listening, definitely throw a blazer on because, you know, as a woman sitting at the table, they've <laughs> yeah. done, uh, many researchers have, have, you know, studied this. You watch, uh, the morning news and you see like maybe the woman would be in a dress that's cut off, right? Like, um, no sleeves, but then the anchor next to her has a suit and tie on and studies show they're going to take the me- the man more seriously in that case. So, Um, it's amazing just throwing a blazer on before going to that meeting with a prospect or going to that meeting internally, it gives you a little boost of confidence. But yeah, you want to put yourself in the best position to put yourself the most confident. And you got to think about how you're being processed too. It's your confidence is going to definitely project, you know, um, what you want that person to process as they're consuming. Absolutely. So whatever makes you feel good, just remember, you know, dress up, um, or throw that blazer on, throw that power pump on, throw the Jordans on, whatever works for you to make you feel good because, um, it'll help, it'll help you in your pitch or in that big meeting. And that's a wrap on episode 18. Thank you for tuning in and thank you to Sam for sharing her journey experiences and insights with all of us today. Now, don't forget to follow Women Blazers on Instagram to stay connected and to tap into the Women Blazers network. And look forward to the second to last episode of season one, episode 19, dropping Monday, December 7th, featuring Katie Griggs, Vice President and Chief Business Officer for Atlanta United of MLS. I hope everyone has a safe and wonderful Thanksgiving.